of the Sportsaholic Podcast. As always, I'm Max Zucker. Along for the ride is Mr. Sean Conway. Sean, how are you doing today? What's new in your world? Not too much. Uh, Lindsay and I got some some hiking in this past weekend. And on top of that, actually, I uh, took the dogs hiking myself this morning after uh, going for about 12 miles on the bike. And it was nice, you know, not really so much cooking over the weekend, but I did have some pretty decent food. I had these Cajun Fire Hot Wings from this Ooh. restaurant called Mac and Dogs here in Carbondale. And it's kind of funny because it's a separate entity, but it's inside this greasy dive bar called Key West. And the, the oh, restaurant yeah. itself is called Mac and Dogs. And I wouldn't recommend going to, to Key West just because it kind of smells like sewage. Sorry if anyone <laughs> listening is a, is a patron of there or, or whatnot, but it does smell rather awful inside that establishment. But we did order it for takeout, so the, or for delivery, I should say. They delivered it to us. So that was something good I had this weekend. Tonight, I've got these uh, Brazilian Steakhouse marinade going for my steaks that I've got. Going to fire nice. up the grill. Going to have them nice. with uh, potatoes and asparagus and, as well. Sweet. Got that looking forward to tonight. What about you? What you what you got cooking lately? Well, first off, I, the one bar I didn't enter in Carbondale was probably Key West. I, I mean, I went as low as PK's, but I could not go into Key West. And that was the one that was closest to my original apartment, if you recall, in so mm-hmm. many ways, too. Mm-hmm. But I could never enter there. Anyway, sorry, side note, just a little Saluki note there. Uh, last night, actually, Sean Conway, I did a little crack patten. I felt pretty good. Um, I used chicken broth, chicken breast, uh, onions, carrots, wild rice, Egyptian lemons, a pinch of garlic powder, and some chili lime salt. It all mixed together, and it was like a, a lemony chicken chowder, I guess it would be the way to put it. But it was really good, really tasty. And it's already gone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sounds good. So yeah. we are about to uh, start the second half of the second round, I should say, in the bids and snubs bracket. This week we've got two pretty good matchups. We got Joe Maurer and Todd Helton in the bid side. On the other side, on the snub side, we got Keith Hernandez and Vita Blue. Max, why don't you start us off and uh, give me the resume for good old Todd Helton. Yeah, you know, again, I really love this matchup, too, particular to start off, too, because you think, really, too, these are two hometown heroes. You know, uh, Maurer uh, with the Twins spent, you know, grew up in Minnesota, Sean, and was the number one pick and spent his entire career with the Twins. And Helton, who exactly I'm about to make the case for, spent his entire 17 career with the Colorado Rockies and really is the face of that uh, young franchise that's only been around, whatever, 20-some odd seasons. Anyways, Helton's 61.2 career war, 316 batting average, got on base just over 41% of the time, um, 539 slugging percentage, 369 home runs, 1406 on the RBIs, and just north of 2,500 hits. He was also a premium defender at the first base position, Sean, winning three gold glove awards. He led the National League in assists four separate times, in double plays six times, and fielding percentage six times. So, I mean, that's pretty good uh, to do that. I mentioned this in the last podcast. He's the only player uh, in Major League Baseball history to have back-to-back 100 extra base Seasons. I mean, that's a pretty staggering alone to be alone right there. It just shows, uh, you know, what a great consistent hitter he was. And my last point to prove that too, and what a consistently uh, good hitter was, is his five-year peak was outstanding. From 1993 to 2000, or, I'm sorry, from 1999 to 2003, Helton tied a list with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Jimmy Fox. As with uh, five consecutive seasons of having a 320 batting average, 30 or more home runs, 100 or more RBIs, and 100 uh, runs plus scored each one of those seasons. I think that's a pretty cool feat to be uh, to be there. And I think he's again his overall uh, you know again his overall career offensively and defensively. I definitely think we'll get him into Cooperstown one uh, one you know one way or fashion. Alrighty. On the flip side, we had Joe Maurer, like you mentioned. He had 15 years in the majors, all with the Minnesota Twins. 
I wasn't, you know, always a big fan of him due to, you know, him always kind of yeah. beating up on the White Sox. Yeah. However, he did have a very impressive career. 2009 specifically, he was the AL MVP. He won a gold glove that year. He led the, um, he had the highest uh, batting average for a catcher that season. And actually that, or he had the, the highest batting average, I should say, of all time of a, for a single season for, for a, kitchen, a catcher. Finishing with a 365 average, and also he also had the highest single season on base percentage for a catcher that season at 444. Outside of the 2009, he was always impressive. Three-time AL batting champion. He's actually the only catcher in MLB history to have the batting title three times in his career. Gold Glove on the other side of the game. He did win three Gold Gloves in consecutive years: 08, 09, and 2010. Five-time Silver Slugger. Pretty decent war as well at 55.3 and a career batting average over 300 at 306. Outside of that, not many accolades in the MLB side, but his number has been retired by the Twins, which was done last season. On top of that, Maurer is just, I mean, he's the quintessential contact hitter, really, because just, I mean, it, it was staggering how well he was you know behind the the plate for them yeah no i think i mean mowers had a oh sorry go ahead no i mean mowers i mean just had a absolute great career uh uh career i mean but you look at i just want to make one point to you sean his lat you look at it he was like you said an mvp like catcher and uh you know the all-star is a catcher but his last uh, five seasons he played, he switched over to first base and he just, you know, kind of hit a decline. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and for, you know, for that reason also, I think Todd Helton just had a little bit better of a career. I'm going to give it to this, to you on this one. And I think uh, I think Todd Helton will be moving on this week on the bid side. Uh, unless you have any arguments, I don't see you really having any arguments there. No, like I said, I mean, I know Helton definitely had a decline too, but it wasn't as drastic as uh, Joe Mowers. I mean, you know, you think about it, you know, I mean, I know he was never like a home run guy, but, you know, you look at the batting averages going, like you said, you know, 347, the 328 and 365 to, you know, 277, 265, 261. You know what I mean? It's that type of big drop-off that I just think separates – Mauer for, or uh, Helton from Mauer, I guess, in this instance. But let's go on to your right to the uh, snub side of things. And why don't you present your case, sir, for Keith Hernandez? All right. For Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez kind of had um, a career that was, you know, comparable to a lot of greats in, uh, you know, in his time with the Mets, I, I would say. A lot of people compared him to, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle in, in a way, you know, as his impact in, in New York sports and everything. He had a 17-year career, mainly with the Cardinals and the Mets. He played six years with both clubs, and then he had one final season, I believe, with the Indians. Two-time World Series champion. He had a share of the NL batting title back in 1979, hitting batting 344. He was also that year the NL MVP, five-time All-Star and 11-time gold glove. I mentioned that last time. That's the most by any first baseman in league history. Oh, yeah. He batted over 307 times throughout his career. And this yeah. is actually my, my favorite stat of all of them. He is the all-time game-winning RBI leader when that stat was recorded. And that was at no 129 game-winning RBIs. Along with that, a career war of 60.3. I think that gives him the edge here over Vita Blue. But why don't you tell me why you think Vita Blue might have a shot. Well, I'll tell you exactly why he has a, a, a shot, Sean. It really has to go with some Hall of Fame numbers, but that last stat, I did not. That's a cool stat to have. They have the most, uh, what did you say, walk-off RBIs? Not walk-off, but the most game-winning RBIs. Game-winning. Sorry, game-winning. Yes, game-winning. That that's a really cool stat. And yeah, I'll probably have him move on. But for argument's sake here, uh, Vita Blue, three-time World Series champion, six-time All-Star, 209 wins, 161 losses, lifetime ERA of 327 and a FIP, just north of that at 343, 45 career war, 21, uh, 75 on the strikeout market. 
Uh, he obviously, he, I know I brought this up the last time I talked about Blue. Obviously, his big season was in 1971 when he won the Cy Young and the MVP going 24-8 and with an outstanding 1-8-2 ERA, 24 complete games. And yes, one-third of those being shutouts as he had eight shutouts that season. My point here, what I really want to talk about, though, uh, Sean, is uh, numbers compared to him and uh, Hall of Famer Catfish Hunter. Hunter's in the Hall of Fame and was part of those great uh, A's Dynasty teams. You know, when Blue won those World Series, uh, Hunter was there, too, winning them. Hunter, 224 wins, 166 losses. So very comparable against the Blues, 209 and 161. Their ERAs are set, literally matching Blue at, two again, uh, 3.27, uh, Hunter at 3.26, with Hunter having a higher FIP than Blue, uh, lower strikeouts, and a lower war at 40.9, yet Hunter's in the Hall of Fame and Blue isn't. And I know Blue probably could have had a better uh, chance of making it had uh, Cocaine obviously not interrupted the second half of his career. But when I just mentioned those numbers on Hunter and Blue alone. I mean, Blue has a higher war, just as good as win-loss record, just as good as ERA, and again, a better and a better FIPS. So I think I can make a kind of argument there. But your argument again for Hernandez here, and with a 60, what did you say his war was 60? 60.3. And actually, I did leave out one very interesting stat as well. Oh, so please. Keith Hernandez, also a very prominent contact hitter he finished with a career average of 296 and a walk rate of only 12 and a half percent hernandez career hitting productivity was 31 percent above the league average at the time wow yeah yeah uh, just that wow i mean just those last two stats uh that you've given on there is definitely enough to uh have keith wow i didn't that that is powerful stuff actually sean so yes let's have keith hernandez and todd elton move on here in the bids and snubs portion of this show the next portion of the show we're going to get into some baseball yes actually some live baseball that sean got to see earlier this day and other mlb stuff around the league right here on the sportsaholic podcast with max zucker and sean conway and taking us out to break is mr jason james as always this time uh, with his song, uh, Danny Be Cool. For the second week in a row, that was Danny Be Cool by Jason James. 
Max, I'm excited. I know you have kind of been pessimistic this uh, this spring and summer about baseball, but much against your it best be. wishes, baseball's back. Got some intra-squad uh, scrimmages going on today. The White Sox had uh, Giolito and Colome going at it in their scrimmage. Giolito looked absolutely fantastic. I think he might slide into that ace spot nice and uh, nice and easy after that. He retired the last 12 that he faced before the relievers came in for that. On top of that, I did like what I saw with uh, Luis Robert. I mean, he had this this uh, early on in the game. It was first second inning. He had this, this deep ball that was hit to him out in center. And he was about 10, 15 feet from the warning track. And he just absolutely fired a laser straight home so the runner on third couldn't tag up and then the uh the run ended up scoring because uh grandal threw the ball back to second for the the advancer the running that was advancing to uh second on tag and it ended up hitting i think it was delmonico hit the uh the ball hit him in the hand on the throw so the ball went wild and the run was able to score but they weren't really keeping score they weren't really you know doing anything really of a game it was more of just like a like a live scrimmage type of practice yeah and exactly. it was still fun to see you know it was weird not hearing any fans at a game at uh you know whatever you want to call it the cell the girf comiskey whatever you want to call it uh, another thing i thought was Guaranteed really loss. weird was when they did like the weird con the, the random concourse shots and you see the bars all closed up with the the metal gates going down and everything it just it's it's different it. baseball, it, it, you know. Baseball, beer, they go hand in hand. When you see the bars closed at the, at the stadium, it's a little sad. But you know what? I was excited to see baseball back. I'm not sure if you got to watch your Cubs, but I got to watch my White Sox I did today. That today. I did but, that, you know, uh, it, it, it it was nice to see that the, the the sport can keep on going and can start to you know resume after all this COVID stuff. Some players though not resuming. Unfortunately, we've been talking in and out. Uh, players who have opted yes. out. I have a handful of players I wanted to throw out that have opted out. Uh, one being Michael Kopech of the White Sox has opted out this season. He's recently married uh, to Vanessa Morgan. I believe she's an actress uh, on the show Riverdale. I could be wrong. I don't really follow that stuff, but I, I did try to do some research. I don't into watch it. any of that stuff, brother. But it is my understanding that those two, if they haven't already, they are trying to start a family here soon. And, you know, being exposed potentially you know throughout a season i can understand why he would want to pull out i'm not sure if he is officially you know or his his uh wife i'm not sure if he's officially is she's pregnant or not yet but they i, I did read that they were trying to on top of that he, he i think that she's a he, few months, he has yeah. uh he has battled depression and anxiety in the past and during a pandemic like this i can't even imagine what would be going through his head right now so he will be opting out along with that a catcher for the San Francisco Giants, Buster Posey, announcing that he'll be opting out as well. Him and his wife recently adopted two twin baby girls, and I believe that's a right, that's a smart move as well, to uh, you know isolate yourself from anything that can that could possibly bring harm to those new um, additions to the family. One more I wanted to bring up. I believe you uh, you had mentioned this during the break, Max, but uh. Cardinals reliever Jordan Hicks also mentioning that he'll be opting out, citing uh, previous health conditions. I believe he uh, he battles type 1 diabetes, and with that, you know, as it, it already in his life, he does not need to uh, expose himself to anything worse. Max, I know you had a couple things you wanted to add in on that. Yeah, uh, just a couple players returning from COVID and one more getting the injury bug. Man, it's like the Yankees, man. Last year, dude, it seemed like they were on the injury play. It seemed like they have like a dozen guys by June 1st who were on the uh, injured list. Uh, You know, this year it's like the COVID list. Uh, Last week we had Luis Sessa and DJ LeMahieu test positive. Now their star closer, Aroldis Chapman, has tested positive and will be out for the foreseeable future speaking of closers in big markets k 
Kenley Jansen of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who tested positive for COVID-19 a few weeks ago, has quarantined and is uh, reported back to camp. We talked about Charlie Blackman last week, uh, Sean Conway. He's already back in camp as well for the Colorado Rockies. So that's what's going on with our uh, COVID notes here. Uh, One last thing. on COVID, and this is what Chris Bryant of the Chicago Cubs had to say. He said, quote-unquote, what we agreed to was testing every day. We have had guys here that showed up on Sunday and hadn't gotten tested again seven days later. And then you don't get the results for two days either. So that's nine days without knowing. And I think if we really want to succeed, We're going to have to figure this out. Bryant also noted that he wouldn't be surprised at all if the league was to end up canceling the season. It seems like we've had a little bit lower of a number of cases this week, Sean. So hopefully that's a good thing. Or maybe this is where Bryant's saying, you know, now we're seeing, you know, nine days. And that's a lot of days to have, uh, you know, to get testing results. Uh, you know, done. So, uh, you know, we'll see where these numbers, you know, continue to trend. Like you said, for now, baseball's going on with these inter-squad games and a little bit of summer camp, and, you know, we'll see We'll see how this corona bug, uh, you know, plays out, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Uh, going back to New York, I know Chapman's not having a good time out there in the Big Apple, but yeah. there's a lot of excitement going around the bidding for the New York Mets. Max, why don't you take the lead on this story as well? Yeah, well, uh, before I get some more exciting news, uh, New York billionaire Stephen Cohen probably is slightly leading uh, the way right now. He offered to buy the Mets for $2 billion, and he'd also like to buy SNY, or Sports New York, where the Mets are broadcasted off of for an additional $2 billion. Uh, he'd like to give that to the Wilpons. However, the Wilpons said they would prefer to sell to Aroid and J-Lo. They would prefer to sell to that uh, group who already has $1.7 billion to pledge. And they're going to be getting some assistance from some NFL players and, for, I should say, former and current NFL players, uh, Brian Erlacher. Travis, Ke- yeah, Travis Kelsey and DeMarco Murray are all interested again in joining uh, A-Royd and J-Lo uh, for the Mets bidding. Our own Brian Erlacher, Sean, had this to say, and then I'll let you comment away with it. Um, Erlacher said, uh, being a former athlete and having a chance to be a part of a group trying to purchase a professional team it's pretty cool. And I second that, Brian Erlacher. That is pretty cool. However, it's the Mets, so it's not that yeah, cool. I mean, it's still pretty cool. At least it's not the Yankees. I'm, no. Well, that would never happen. But at least he's at least it's not right. a team that you no. like hate, you know? Oh, I hate the Mets. Oh, I absolutely hate the Mets. You don't understand how much I absolutely <laughs> hate the Mets being a Cub fan. I cannot stand the Mets. And I just think, but you know what though? Here, let me put one last spin on this. I think about the Mets again. You look at the amazing Mets who did beat the Cubs in 1969. I know all of us. I wasn't even alive then, uh, you know. But I know a lot of people are still somewhat butthurt from that. You know, the Buckner error. Think about if the Buckner didn't happen. Boston wins the series. There's you know second World Series for the Mets. And the third time, I shouldn't say they got around with. They got around with some luck though. I mean, they had some established veterans and some decent younger players you know like to grab that year in 2015 but um and it was fun watching Bartolo Colon pitch in the World Series but they've never read this is my whole point about the Mets they've never really had sustainability it seems like in ownership they've never like the Mets have never had like these you know crazy window years of contention yeah they've had some nice seasons you know they had some good years when Piazza was in town and whatnot but uh They've never like been consistent. So the next group that buys the Mets, they need to find a way to consistently put money into the team because this is New York in the number one market and try to make the Mets a better team, even though I don't want to see it. So, yeah, I think it's just funny that all these NFL players want to join Aroid again and J-Lo on this uh, extravaganza again to buy the, uh, the, the amazing Mets. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> all right, and... Um... Closing out, we got one last bit of uh, some somber news. Frank Bowling, the second baseman that played for the Tigers and the Milwaukee Braves, 
back in the day. Two-time All-Star has died. He was actually known as the last player to hit a Grand Slam off of Sandy Koufax, the 1958 oh, Gold cool. Glove winner with the Tigers. And, uh, you know, he's been battling cancer for about five years now, and he finally succumbed Ouch. to his fight with that deadly disease. At the age of 88 years old, we give out our heartfelt support and thoughts and prayers to the bowling family and any you know fans in the Tigers and Braves community who uh, who are grieving at this moment. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. On the flip side of this, we got some NFL news to talk about. You're listening to the Sportsaholics podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. We here on the Sportsaholic podcast recognize those who have unique disabilities. One fun and fantastic way to showcase those talents is by joining your local Special Olympics squad. Through Special Olympics, you will learn to be part of a team, add additional skill sets, learn the true definition of sportsmanship, and most importantly, have some fun. So become an athlete, become a coach, become a volunteer, be part of Special Olympics. And we're back for another round here on the Sportsaholics podcast, this time talking about all things NFL, some pretty big news coming out of Washington after years of backlash from activists and Native American good community. The Reds, the excuse me, the Washington NFL team will be changing yeah. or retiring their name and logo, no longer going by that racial slur as in the Redskins, and will be looking to change it. They have not announced any names yet. But there are a few on the table. I did hear sources say that the team is looking, or the organization is looking to honor the military, a salute to the military with their name of some sort. I don't, I'm not sure what that means. I would really hope it's the Red Tails. We went over that last week, and I thought that was a really cool name, and I like the logos. But there were a couple other ones that have also gained speed. There was one I really didn't like, the Washington Warriors, which would be a, a, a nod to both military history and to native american history as well i think if they're going to if they're going to be changing they need to completely remarket right and and try to move away from anything that could be deemed offensive i did see another one that i really liked and that was the red wolves i sent you the picture and a, and a handful of shots of their jerseys yeah those are cool looking i really i really did like that and you know me i do i do like wolves are one of my favorite animals so that would be pretty cool to see Same. I would like I would like to see the Red Wolves if it was not the Red Tails. What about you, Max? Any other names you thought were pretty cool? No, I, I mean I don't exactly. Let's not be over redundant here. Like I, I again, we talked about this last week. The term Redskin, like I said, it's really an outdated term. And in modern society, when we are trying to flip the script here, this is a good time, like I said, to flip the script. Whatever Washington comes up with, I hope it's something prestigious because you're talking about the nation. This is our nation's capital and again you had that offensive term you know an outdated term there for you know whatever a long a long long time you know this is an opportunity to, again to rebrand rechange things like you said to the red tails is where i would go i just think this is a unique time to uh, uh uh you know have those tuscany military uh uh members be honored this would be a unique time to do it and i second that going forward the big news too besides obviously washington changing their football name this week is patrick mahomes my friend oh. with two years left on his rookie deal signed a <clears throat> 10-year 450 million dollar extension uh, the deal can max out Sean Conway at $503 million with incentives. $141 million is guaranteed. There are several opt-outs, which is smart for a young guy. Uh, Mahomes is only 24 now and will be 36 if he actually does finish this contract. But again, the way NFL contracts, not all that money is, again, guaranteed. Like I said, only 141 of the potential 503 is uh, guaranteed. So we'll see. I think it's a smart move, though. If you're the Chiefs, you know you have the best quarterback in the nation. Like, like I just said, he's 24 years old. Locking him up now, I mean, if you do the deal the way it is, you know, and you're not looking into, you know, what the future media rights is going to be or the, what the you know future gambling profits are going to be, uh, this is obviously historically, uh, you know, astronomical 
uh, contract. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. I would love to see if Mahomes plays through it. But, again, with those opt-outs, I got a feeling once the new TV running comes in and some more uh, money from the gambling portion, I could see him opting out. And who knows, maybe you're getting $60 million guaranteed a year. Anyways, what's your thoughts, Sean? I just thought it was awesome. I mean, he, he had an incredible year last year. I, I'm a fan of, of Patrick Mahomes. And, I, you know, to see the first ever half-billion-dollar sports deal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. And, and kudos to him on, on, on uh, you know, attaining that feat. Moving on, Max. The NFL is doing their part to make sure their players are, quote-unquote, safe for their contact i'm not talking about the masks did you see that they are not going to allow jersey exchanges at the end of the games they could tackle each other they could line up against each other on the line of scrimmage but god forbid if they exchange jerseys at the end of the game i understand the sentiment behind it but they kind of it, it doesn't really make a difference at this point right that's what Richard Sherman was saying, too. I forget. I don't have his uh, direct tweet right now, but he was kind of like exactly like, he's like, we can't swap jerseys at the end of the game, but you want us to go ahead, right, sweat our, you know, uh, you know, ass off, essentially, and be tackling, you know, each other, right, going full contact, essentially. Like, you know, we're, we're the biggest contact sport in America, and COVID's all about not contacting each other. But, yeah, exactly. We can't exchange jersey sales at the end of the day. I did think that was, again, it is a way to help reduce some of that that stuff. But, exactly, this is why I'm having a hard time seeing um, football going on in general. Some college stuff we'll get into later in the show, Sean. But it does not look, I think, great. Uh, for football. One way of helping it out, though, is Oakley. Oakley's got a new mouth shield that has helped uh, mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. All teams will be uh, given uh, the new mouth shield sometime this week, actually, Sean. Yeah, and you know, I saw pictures of it. It looks kind of like a clear plastic, like, visor almost that you put underneath the face mask. Okay. So they'll have a visor for their eyes and they'll have a visor for their mouth. And my thoughts, and I kind of agree with J.J. Watt here. I'll get to his quote in a second, but I feel like that's just going to get clouded up with, you know, condensation from the breath, and it's just going to make it more hot in that helmet. This is what J.J. Watt had to say. My second year in the league, I thought it'd be cool. I put a visor on my helmet. I was like, it looks so cool. I want to put a visor on. I had it on (laughs) for about three periods of practice, and I said, take this sucker off. I'm going to die out there. So now you're going to put something around my mouth? You can keep that. If that comes into play, I don't think you're going to see me on the field. So J.J. Watt saying if the masks are mandated, he probably will not be playing. Right now, there are no mandates requiring the masks for each player, but the league is sending out masks to all 32 teams this week, and league medical experts are advocating for the use of uh, the mouse shield's already been distributed to the Rams and the Chargers because they are close to Oakley's home base. Right. However, they still have not gotten back the feedback from player reps on the team and equipment managers. So there will be more to talk about probably on that next week. Um, but honestly, I'm not sure if that's the route that they're going to be able to take, if they need to adjust even more, maybe design a new helmet. That's going to be a lot a lot of wheels got to get turning before this football season starts. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And honestly, Sean, if J.J. Watt saying this, I don't think he'd be the only player to opt out. You know, I think exactly. I think once, you know, football season, it was like, ooh, you know, it's right around the not like right around the corner. Like football, it's got time. It's got time. Well, it's already July 13th. You know, training camps are starting to be supposed to be held, you know. Now, this, you know, exactly, this virus is going to get – you know, further delays, and once we actually start getting really close, like in the next month, six weeks, you know, wait, you know, closer to that side of the field, you know, field, and if NFL does make this like a non-option, exactly, I, I don't think it will be what you know will be the only one to opt out. And again, who knows then exactly how you know? I don't want to watch the XFL this year. I'm not trying to watch all the kids who got cut, you know, from college, you know, compete this year. So again, it's too early now to say anything. God forbid, because, again, I would really like to get some NFL football going on. Again, as some college football. We'll have more news on the college football side 
uh, actually after this break. So let's take that break, Sean Conway, and then we'll get into trivia, drink of the week, what we missed, and some fight corner right here on the Sports Hog Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sports Hog Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. And we're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast, Sean Conway. I got some trivia for you, and it has to deal with one of our subjects today, Mr. Patrick Mahomes, who we all know just got close to almost $503 million, and that's with incentives. But his total value without the incentives is or $477 million. So, Sean Conway, can you tell me the next, and that tops everyone, by the way, the next contract in line, Mahomes has $327 million, and again, in total value, than the next guy uh, in line at $150 million. Uh, but I'm hoping you would name me the next six guys in line uh, with the total value in the, in the NFL contract. So, NFL, active guys, so not a guy like Andrew Luck who would be on this list if he would have been playing at $139 million is what his total value, again, was for. And again, the total value doesn't look at, I'm not looking at the guaranteed value. I'm not looking at the uh, the deal with all the incentives, just what you actually signed for. So name me those next six guys in line, Sean Conway, after Mahomes is $477 million. Again, a $327 million difference from this next guy in line. All right. Um, I know Matt Ryan had that ridiculous deal last year. And that would be that next guy in line at that $150 million plateau, sir. Excellent. Okay, and then Khalil Mack had like $140 million. $141, and he'd be after Ryan. Oh, okay. Um, I think Aaron Donald also is on this list. He's got a pretty close deal then to Mack. You are you are exactly on that same uh, good good train of thought there, sir. One hundred thirty-five million dollars, and that's where I capped it off at. Okay, uh, I believe Aaron Rodgers is on that list. Ooh, Rodgers would actually be a million dollars short, only one hundred thirty-four million. Like I said, Sean, I capped it at one hundred thirty-five. <laughs> All right, but um, yeah, no, he'd be up there. Otherwise, he'd be after the after Darnold and this guy actually who plays in the same. Division as uh, a Mr. Rogers. Uh, Stafford. Matthew Stafford. Yeah, Staff- Stafford with the other $135 million deal. And then uh, two other quarterbacks on this list, Sean Conway. You're doing pretty good, though. Divisions. Give me some divisions. Uh, they're both in the same division. How about that? In uh, uh, NFC, same division. Jimmy G? Jimmy Garoppolo at 137.5 okay. million, and so it's definitely not going to be Kyler Murray. No, he's still on his rookie deal. Yeah, Russell Wilson then. Yeah, Russell Wilson at 140 million, and I believe Wilson has, besides now Mahomes, I believe Wilson had the uh, his 35 million dollars per season. I believe it was the highest AAV until again Mahomes. I just can't believe that though. Again, Mahomes 477 million again in total value, and then Matt Ryan at 150 million is the next guy on this list. And Ryan's a pretty damn good quarterback, but this is you know it just shows what a true again what we said earlier today in the show too, Sean. What a true competitor and just what a great football uh you know just talents all around that Mahomes is and it will be fun uh to watch him wherever he goes throughout the remainder of his career although it looks like for the majority it will be Kansas City all right Sean let's get into your drink of the week what are you sipping on well uh since baseball started up this week for at least the intra-squad games I kind of wanted to have a Chicago beer after watching some White Sox baseball and on top of that, you know, I've always been one of those dark beer guys. I like stouts. I like the, the darker amber ales and sure. and things like that. Not really a big pale ale guy, but recently I've had a couple that I was like, oh, that's not bad. And I actually started with a couple, trying a couple of session IPAs the last couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, that's not bad. So I found this one. I've, I've, I've had this part of the show technically, but not the actual beer. 
the Revolution Brewing Fist City Chicago Pale Ale. And I've had this on the show before because I had that Jameson bottle that was aged in this ah. beer's barrels. So now right. I, I get to try the beer. And I got to nice. say, it's not bad. I'm going to crack this open for a nice little, uh, you know, pop in the sound. Sounded it was good. able to uh, able to obtain a little bit of coolness. It was it was not cooled when I picked it up off the shelf at the liquor store, but honestly, it's not bad at all. the The can itself, it's got the uh, the four Chicago flag stars on it with the blue and white, as well. And it also has a uh, picture of I believe it's the Statue of the Republic, which is a, sh- a statue in Chicago, right, Max? Uh, yes, and that is I actually again I have uh, I I know what the revolution is because you know being in Chicago and I like a handful of their beers but yeah on that particular beer Sean uh, the Statue of Republic is like a twenty four high uh, gilded bronze sculpture that's in Jackson Park here in the lovely part of Chicago the original uh, Statue of the Republic actually Sean was destroyed by the Chicago Fire in uh, eighteen ninety three again so they built this new one here. Right here in Jackson Park, uh, wow. I'm trying to think if yeah, if I've gone I've gone by it. If I have, it's been a Stone Age ago. Um, so either way, no, that's a cool that's a cool drink of the week. I cool, can understand. Cool. So yeah, why uh, you're feeling Chicago? Couple a couple of bit more. It's a five point five and a half percent alcohol on the IBU, which is the International Bitterness Units. It's uh, listed as a forty, so it's not too hoppy, not too bitter. The can says bright and aromatic. With a citrusy hop profile, I like to think it's a little bit of citrusy and a little bit of grapefruit on the with the notes and the flavors okay. and everything. And um, it's named actually. I thought this was pretty interesting too. It's named after a Loretta Lynn cl- uh, classic country song called "Fist City," which is a song that she wrote about a woman who was trying to pursue her husband. So it's like a, a different hmm. version of Jolene. <laughs> And I, I thought that was a pretty interesting how it got its name. It's not a Chicago song or anything, but they, uh, the Chicago Beard named it after that. And I think I might have a couple of these while watching some uh, Sox inter-squad scrimmages this week, Max. Nice, Sean Conway. You uh, you do that again. I'm glad you got your Chicago beer in for again while you watch your stinky White Sox. Uh, other, yeah, the other news we didn't really get in today, Sean, and that was college football. So I say let's dive into it here just for a second. Bunch of stuff that's just coming out. You know, the Ivy Leagues have canceled fall sports. Uh, the National JUCO uh, College uh, Association is okay with moving um, football to the spring earlier this week the big 10 the pac 12 and the act and i believe the big 12 and sec will step foot this week too on this with those other three conferences that they are only going to play conference games this year sean so you know everyone was super excited for the wisconsin notre dame game i was was excited uh, for siu wisconsin (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, none of those type of games are going to happen. If football happens at all, and especially college football, which I'm more and more resourceful to say it's probably not going to happen, I would think it would be, um, you know, exactly like they're saying, conference-only schedule. I would think, you know, again, a traditional college football season is 12 games. So I just would think you would probably actually shorten it to six. I know you normally play eight or nine conference games, the conference but um i would think you would just shorten it to six that way you could kind of move you know you know maybe move it into november and then exactly uh maybe have like a big conference championship you know right around when you know the championships and the bowl seasons and all that type of stuff is going to go but yeah this jeopardizes bowl season buddy we're not going to have to do our bowl show this year potentially which this is going to suck yeah well i mean Conference championship, that's, it's it's cool in itself. I know it's not going to be the, the awesome bowl season, but if that's the compromise we have to make, I guess I'm fine with that as a fan. Um, I would be too. I, honestly, it's, it's, it's a smart move. Not as much travel, not as much exposure. You're keeping everyone within the same conference, so you'll be playing the same people and exposing the same people. Right. Imagine how many people you're exposing yourself to if the Pac-12 and the, and the ACC play each other, you know? I, so that's why I can understand. Um, on top of that, I thought it was it, it's going to be interesting how Notre Dame goes about it since they're not a conference school. Um, I did see that the True. ACC commissioner did say that 
they would help out Notre Dame in filling their schedule any way they can if if, if uh, oh, they needed to. And I mean that terrible. that would make sense because Notre Dame you know participates in the ACC and other sports. So I can see yeah, that. every other I can, sport honestly, football, I, don't, right. I don't know why they wouldn't be part of the Big Ten in the first place, but that's that's just my honest opinion. It's, Me too. They're, they're a Midwest school. They should be in, in uh, the Midwest type conference. But that's, right, a, that's, a, that's a discussion for oh, way right. down the line anyway. But, you know, with that said, I did see a quote from Desmond Howard to the Irish, which was pretty much him just saying, tough luck, Irish. And, uh, <laughs> I can agree. It, you know, you guys, you, they, they, they put themselves in the situation where they're going to be missing out on games in this kind of, uh, you know, situation because they don't have a conference because they would rather have the NBC games. Hey, if we don't have college football this year, I would be disappointed. However, it would be nice this year to not deal with all the all the Southside Irish fans who just cheer for Notre Dame, no other reason for you know. And yet they're going out every you know to all the bars at eleven o'clock for the game every week. Yet they have no affiliation and probably know nobody that's also went to this just for the fact they're Irish. So I wouldn't mind having that. Uh, real quick, two last things, Sean, and then I'll let you get into Fight Corner Hair. Uh, the one cool thing, I won't say cool, because I really would love a full college football season. It breaks my heart. We're not going to have that. Um, just the intensity every year, but bring my point up to intensity. If you did shorten it to a conference schedule where it is just six to eight games, and it is strictly your conference, and you have to win your conference to get to the you know conference championship, and that's all it is for bowl season, those are going to be six to eight hell of a football games to watch because those kids are going to do anything anything if they know too that's their one last chance to get an eye you know before the nfl draft too those kids are going to play their guts out and we are going to watch some damn good football if this actually happens because those kids are going to be hungry with only six or eight games you know wiggle room having to win a conference Last piece here, and then let's move on. If we don't see college football this year, there is hope that we'd at least get one college football game, Sean, and that would be the Army and Navy game as the uh, Navy's athletic director is intent on preserving that game at least. So if all other fails... And it would suck to not again. Like I said, I'll be for the shorter season, the, again, higher impact games with the conference championship at the game. But if that all fails, it does look like the Army-Navy game would at least go on to give us some something to watch, you know, whatever, whenever that would be in a couple months, yeah, essentially. No but we'll see how this all goes. But let's check in the fight corner, shall we? All right. We had uh, UFC 251 over the weekend. Kamaru Usman and... Jorge Masvidal as the main event. Usman retaining his title there, taking down Masvidal by unanimous decision. Masvidal, you know, gave him credit where credit was due at the end of the fight, saying that Usman was the better man. I was hoping for Masvidal in here. I always go for the kickboxer over the wrestler, but it's honestly, it's always kind of as far-fetched in that kind of situation because wrestlers just wear down kickboxers. And honestly, it, they just control the match. And that's what, that's what Usman did. He, you know, outstri- he was outstriking him the entire time at 77% hit compared to Masvidal's 56. And then on top of that, Usman had five or six takedowns throughout the fight and Masvidal had zero. So it, it would make sense. Another fight that happened, we had Peter Yan uh, defeating Jose Aldo by technical knockout in the fifth round. That was in the main card as well. I watched a handful of the, the prelim bouts too. Nothing really all that stood out. My favorite moment was during, I forget who the fighters were. It was part of the early the early prelim fights. But the uh, the there was a, the referee was British and there was a handful of low blows and back to back to back bouts. And this ref, you could just see he was getting irritated with the low blows and illegal, um, and illegal strikes and everything. And he was like, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing? And he actually said, you punched him right on the... And he, and he used a... Um, I wouldn't call it an offensive, but a, a uh, less appropriate term for male genitalia. When he said, gotcha. you hit him right on the top of the... And he... And he I'll leave that blank there. I don't want to edit this in the, the sensor beep later after the show. But I was laughing so hard. Like, I heard a clear as day three times that word. And I was laughing so hard and twitter blew up with it too very entertaining 
Uh, outside of that, we've got a UFC fight night going on this weekend. Another uh, round at Fight Island, which is actually, it's called Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. Goes off the coast okay. of Abu Dhabi, but that's where Fight Island's at. We'll have another one. Uh, Devizan Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez uh, going at it for 2.0. They they recently fought each other back in February at UFC Fight Nights 169. Uh, Figueredo did miss weight on that one, so he was deducted a few points and fined. But the fight went on, and he ended up beating Benavidez by technical lock- knockout in round two. So obviously Joseph Benavidez is going to come back with a little bit of revenge on this one. So that should be an interesting fight to see that. It might be in jeopardy though because uh, Figueredo did test positive for the coronavirus a few days ago. But he has been cleared to travel because they don't know when he was completely, uh, you know, beginning his, his, his testing positive for that or his, his positive, you know, symptoms for that started. So he's been cleared to travel to Fight Island. He'll remain in quarantine, and they'll be closer to the bout on Saturday, whether or not they'll uh, find out if they're going to scratch the, the main event or not from this one. And uh, that's what we have to look forward to. There's a handful of other fights on that one, but nothing really of note to mention right now. Uh, next week, bids and snubs. we got Kurt Schilling going against Scott Rowland for the final matchup of the bid side in the second round. And the last matchup on the snub side for round two would be Kenny Lofton and Jim Edvin. Jim Ooh. Edmonds, excuse me. And then on top of that, we're going to be starting the start. We're previewing the start of the 2020 shortened MLB season and much, much more going on throughout the sports world. Until then, Max, I'm going to kill a few more Fist Cities. Hey, you do that. And actually, again, the one sport we never talk about uh, that goes on is soccer. So there is that MLS bubble. So if you do actually want to watch some physical sports, uh, LAFC in Houston on tonight at 7 o'clock Central. And L, uh, uh, the Galaxy and Portland taking on action tonight at 9.30. So I actually might watch a little soccer just to get some sports breaded through me, buddy. Uh, but other than that, uh, I'm going to cook some salmon. Again, take it easy. To the fans and listeners of the show, we could not do this without you every week. Jason James, thanks again for providing your uh, uh, your music each and every work. Uh, everyone here, again, on the Sports Sportsaholic, uh, Sportsaholic Podcast, we strive and we want to work again for equality. That is the main message of uh, every show and every and every goal right now in life. Uh, let's get you know, let's get with that, everybody. And until next week. I'm Max Zucker signing off for Sean Conway. Have a good week, everybody. Adios. Mom!